Got a Bible with you this morning. Open, please, with me to the book of 1 Peter, where we spent some time over the last several weeks. The Lord's been speaking to us out of 1 Peter chapter 5, talking to us about this year, our lives this year, what He wants to do in our lives, and not just this year, but beyond. And we are believing God and looking to His Word to set the tone and to set the expectation of what he wants to do in us. Amen. And there's a, a few words that we see here in the book of first Peter chapter five in verse 10 that I believe are doing just that they are setting the expectation. Let's look at it again together. First Peter chapter five, verse 10, it says, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, now say these words with me, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Same again, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. I think you need to say it again. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. What do you look like perfected? What do you look like established? How different would your life be if you were strengthened, if you were settled. And I know it, that this is what the Lord is desiring to do in our lives this year as a local church family, as a global partner family. He has given us his word on it. And the God of all grace is going to work in our lives, amen, to do what? Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. And I'm excited about it. I believe some of you have gotten a hold of it too. I mean, we hear it coming back to us in some of these good reports that the Lord's doing. We hear it coming back in your words of faith. This is what God's doing in my life, in my family. He's perfecting us. And we've talked a little bit about it. We'll get into more of it later. But, you know, this, this perfection, um, don't let it throw you. It doesn't mean flawless. It doesn't mean you come to a place where you never make a mistake again. You and I never arrive at perfection in the flesh, but if you study these words, what you actually find out he's talking about is development. He's talking about a, a, a maturing. He's talking about completing and equipping you. And that's the one I really love. I get excited when I think about God giving us the equipment to do what God's called us to do. Because there's nothing more frustrating, I think, than trying to do a job without the equipment to do the job. And I don't care what level of job you're talking about. I don't care if you're digging ditches or if you're working at the highest levels of security and government. If you've been given a job to do, you can't do it without the equipment. What if some guy says to you, hey, are you able to dig a ditch? Yeah, I can do that. All right, I need this one dug uh, by the end of the day. And he walks away and you're like, well, can I get you know, a shovel or a bulldozer or something? No, uh-uh. Go ahead, get to work. That's frustrating, right? What do you lack? The equipping. Well, that's, that's all in this word perfecting. The equipping that God wants to do in our lives. The God of all grace perfecting us, establishing us on course, strengthening us. Our days of weakness are over in Jesus' name. Anybody else be done being weak spiritually? Are you done being weak in your soul? Are you done being weak in your body? Are you done being weak mentally? Are you done being weak financially? Our days of weakness are over. We are being strengthened in these days. 
We're being settled in these days. Thank you, Lord, for this settling that's happening. Our hearts are fixed, established, trusting in him. There's a settling taking place. Now, we've identified this, but let me mention it again. That perfecting, establishing, strengthening, settling, all these things are works of the grace of God. In other words, you cannot perfect yourself any more than you could save yourself, any more than you can heal yourself. You can't perfect, you can't establish, you can't strengthen or settle yourself. It's a work of the grace of God. But you know this, anything that grace gives has to be received by faith. And this is what Satan's terrified of. He's terrified. And this is why he makes every attempt to strip you of your faith. Are you listening to me? He makes every attempt to rob you of your faith. I've noticed that people don't steal junk. They go for things that are valuable. They go for things that are precious. And that's exactly what your faith is. It's valuable. It's precious. Because this is the stuff you and I live by, walk by, talk by, fight by. This is the stuff we overcome by. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So is it any wonder this is what Satan's after? He was after your faith because if he can strip you of your faith, he knows he can prevent you from ever becoming perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. Right? Are you following me? Why would he be so terrified of that? Satan is terrified of a believer who's been made perfect in love. Why? Well, what does perfect love do? Casts out all fear. Fear is the only thing he's got to work with in your life. And if you don't have any of that junk in you, what's he got left to work with? Nothing. Why? Because you got made perfect in love. Can you see now why he would try to strip you of faith? I'm trying to keep you from ever. He's trying to keep you from ever arriving at that place, being perf perfected in love, perfected in faith because it drives out fear. He doesn't want to see you or me or any of us established on our course. He would way rather you wander around in the desert for the next 40 years aimlessly than to see you established on the course that God's called you to. Because that's when you become a threat to him. That's when you become an impact on people all over the world through the gospel. When you are on your course doing what you've been called to do. Because now you've got the equipping to do it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So we, we've talked a little bit about these things. But we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at this one statement in this verse. May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. And I, it's still, it, it's growing in me and it's growing on me. But I'll tell you this, it's a funny thing to stand here and talk about. Because preaching on suffering for weeks on end, I have found, doesn't fire up a crowd. <laughs> There's much better ways to get cheap applause. You know what I'm talking about? It's like walking in, walking into a place and everybody's there to root for a team. And you say, who here loves this team? 
It's cheap applause, you know what I mean? You know you can get something out of somebody. And there's, there's much easier ways to get some cheap applause, even out of a church congregation. And if that's what you're looking for, preacher, I don't recommend that suffering be your topic for the next several weeks. But that in itself reveals we don't think right about it. If you hear, if you hear me and hear us talking about this suffering, and we'll see it in scripture, but this suffering that's according to the will of God, and, and you don't like it, you don't want anything to do with it, then you know some bad information has gotten in somewhere. Because what are we supposed to do when we fall into various trials? What's supposed to be our response? We are supposed to count it all joy. Count it all joy. And like we've already said, that's not normal. If you're counting it all joy and you've fallen into various trials, that's not normal. But who's got time for normal? I'm not interested in normal. I'm not interested in natural. Give me some super natural. You and I aren't called to normal, natural lives. We're called to some, some spiritual, supernatural lives. So we've talked a little bit about this. I want to keep digging into it today. Um, <clears throat> Don't turn there, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says this in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Remember, we talked some about this last week. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who literally went into the fiery trial. He said, don't, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But do what? Verse 13 rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 19 says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Did you hear that phrase? Who suffer according to the will of God. Is there a suffering that is according to the will of God? Yes, there is. Now, if you'll back up, hold your place here in chapter five, just back up to the first chapter and look at this verse again with me. In verse six, first Peter chapter one. Well, begin in verse three. Let's read several verses here. First Peter chapter one, verse three. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse six, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Does that sound like what he said in chapter five? After you have suffered, how long? A little while. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire 
may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The genuineness of your faith. Other, other translations talk about the trial of your faith. So it's easy to get excited about the perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling. But according to what we've read in 1 Peter 5, do you and I ever get there without what he put in that scripture after you've suffered a while? Can, can you hear the thunderous response? It's, it's like we've talked about before. It's like saying, man, I, I want to be huge. I want to be muscular. I want to be in shape, right? I want, my, I want my muscles to have muscles. I want to be negative percent body fat. But here's the deal. I don't want to work out. I don't want to change the way I eat. Why? That's suffering. And I've been redeemed from all suffering. It's not going to happen, is it? No. But I'm reading this to you because I want you to be quick to identify what the suffering is about. What did he call it here? The trial of your faith. The trial of your faith. And he talked about how it's more precious than gold. Even though like gold, it's tested by fire. Paul wrote to Timothy, and we looked at this a couple of times uh, in last week's message. He talked to him about the genuine faith that is in him. Well, if you can have a genuine faith, guess what else you can have? Fake faith, counterfeit faith, something that looks like faith, something that sounds a lot like faith, something that even acts a lot like faith. But it can be fake. And if it's fake, if it's counterfeit, it doesn't produce what only the real thing can. And so I asked you this last week, how are we ever going to tell the difference between genuine and fake? Huh? You have to test it. You have to test it. And I love the statement that he made that your faith is more precious than gold. More valuable than gold. And we talked about how Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had, had built this image. Does anybody remember what the image was made out of? Gold. And study it for yourself. It was something like, I don't know, 60 cubits high or something like that. Study it all. It's like 90 or 100 feet tall. This thing is massive. That's a lot of gold. That's a lot of gold. But these guys wouldn't bow down to it. And what, I, what occurred to me, just as soon as I walked off stage last week, and I nearly ran out here and said, wait, don't leave. <laughs> Revelation hit. That their faith, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was more valuable than a hundred foot statue made out of solid gold. That's valuable. How do you even put a dollar amount on something like that? And yet the Lord says, your faith is worth more. So that's what the suffering is about. It's the trial of your faith, the testing of it, the proving of it. Now, I had you hold your place there in chapter five. Go back there and look. You see here in these verses what our suffering is a suffering that is according to the will of God. And it's important that you make that distinction in your life because there's a lot of confusion about what Christians are and are not supposed to suffer. There are many things that Jesus has redeemed us from. 
and whatever he bore for you on the cross as your substitution, as your sacrifice, you are not to suffer with that. He bore your sin and the punishment for it. You don't have to suffer with that. He bore your sickness and disease. You are not called to suffer with that. He bore poverty. He bore lack. He bore mental anguish. And you and I are not supposed to be suffering with that. That is not a suffering according to the will of God. So what is then? What is a suffering according to the will of God? Well, in this same chapter, chapter five, if you just back up and you just begin, oh, just start with verse one. The elders who are among you, I exhort, whom a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He said, shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who entrusted, uh, those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Look at verse five. Likewise, you younger people. Somebody say, that's me. Submit yourselves to your older people. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you. No, look at it again. He said, you younger people do what? What did he tell us to do? Submit. Submit. Somebody say submit. I want you to say it because it's not a dirty word. And yet you notice how hard it is to get it out of your mouth. Submit. This is one of the first things that you and I see that we are called to suffer with. I call it the suffering of submission. Now go on here and he he helps, man, this gets really clear. He, He says, submit yourselves to your elders, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. So here you see submission and humility together. This is what makes this suffering right here because it requires humility. This is what is so difficult about this and even painful about submission is that it requires humility. But look at what he said. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, do what? Humble yourself. Now notice this word. Humble yourself under. This is important. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now turn back a couple of pages to the book of James. James chapter four, beginning in verse six, you hear some of these same thoughts. In James four, six, the Bible says he gives more grace. Man, that is the best news you have heard all day. That this God of all grace is doing what? given more grace. There is more and more and more grace available to you, available to me, praise God. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, or in light of this, in light of the fact that he's just given this stuff away, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. What is grace? It's the help you need. Grace is the strength. Somebody say strength. Grace is the strength that you need. Perfecting, establishing, strengthening 
and settling. That grace is that strength that you need. God resists the proud, but he'll give that grace. He'll give that strength to the humble. Verse seven, therefore do what? Submit. Therefore, or in light of the fact that God resists the proud, in light of the fact that he gives grace to the humble, what should you do? If you knew that and you believed it, you would submit. Can you see these things in the way they go together? Submission, humility, and you get strength, right? But God resists the proud. Well, if submitting is humility and humility is submitting, then pride is what? Rebellion. It's insubordination. It's disobedience. It's the refusal to submit. And check this out. It is the nature of your flesh and mine. Pride. Pride is the nature of our flesh. And this is why, I mean, you see it all through the scripture. You see it through history. And you can look, look out a window and see it in our streets today. Submission does not come naturally to the flesh. And this is what makes it suffering. He said, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now, we'll talk more about that later, but there's another one of the sufferings that you and I are called to according to the will of God. There is a suffering of submission and there is a suffering of resistance. What makes them both suffering? Your flesh doesn't want to do either one of them. Your flesh does not want to submit itself. As a matter of fact, there are things you don't want to do just because somebody told you to do them. If for no other reason. You may have wanted to do it earlier that day, but when they said do it, now all of a sudden you don't want to. That's the nature of the flesh. That's the nature, that's rebellion, that's resistance. If you want to know what it really looks and sounds like, find a toddler. Find a toddler who wants something real bad, like real, real bad, and tell them no, and then watch what happens. That's your flesh. That's my flesh. But I want to, but I want it, and I want it bad, and I want it now. Or what? You tell them to do something, but I don't want to. I'm not going to. That's your flesh. That's what your flesh is crying out. That's the nature of the flesh. And it needs, you ready? It needs to suffer. It needs to suffer what? Some submission. The word submit literally means, and this is the definition of it, it means to arrange under. Didn't I tell you that a moment ago? Humble yourself where? Under the mighty hand of God. The word submission means to arrange under. It means to subordinate, to subject oneself. It means to obey. It means to submit to one's control or to yield to one's admonition or their correction or their advice, it's actually, now listen to this, this is so key for today. This word, when he said submit to God, 
It's actually a military term. It's a military term that literally means to arrange troops in rank and to arrange them under. Say it again, under. under. To submit means to arrange under somebody else's authority. To arrange under somebody else's command. And the word itself actually paint, paints a good picture. Submit. You know what a submarine is? You do, right? It is a vessel that does what? Goes under. It goes under the surface. To submit is to come under. A submarine goes under. Uh, uh, the subway, right? Underground. The sandwich? I can't explain. I don't understand that. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. Under. To bring under. Now, don't turn there, but listen to this from First uh, Peter, this same book in First Peter chapter 4. He said, therefore, verse 1, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Look at this. Arm yourselves with the same mind for he who has done what? Suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. He who has suffered in the flesh. What's he saying? He's saying that when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, living for yourself and for your own desire, for your own wants and for your own will, those days are over. And there's some suffering involved in that. But that is the suffering in the flesh. You notice there's nothing in there about sickness? You notice there's nothing in there about disease? Nothing about mental torment? Nothing about poverty? Nothing about lack? What is our suffering in the flesh? It's this right here. It's what Paul called the crucifixion of the flesh. And yes, there is suffering involved in that. It's the suffering of submission. It's the suffering of bringing your will under. Under the will of God. Now, when it comes to submitting to the will of God, there are three big things you need to keep in mind. To submit to God's will is to submit to his word. To submit to God's will is to submit to his word. His word is a revelation of his will. It always astounds me how many people are willing to live life confused about God's will for their life. Read the book. And then what do you do? You submit to it. You yield to it. You bring your will under his will revealed in his word. And I'm going to show you this in scripture. But another big place that we submit to the will of God in is in submitting to his spirit. We submit to his word and we submit to his spirit, to the leading of his spirit, to the correcting, to the directing of his spirit. 
We yield to that. We submit to that. We bring ourselves under and give his spirit the rank over us like we were in the military, right? He has the authority and I yield mine. I come up under. We submit to his word. We submit to his spirit and we submit to his people. Now, this is the one right here. You get a lot of amens on one and two. It's this one right here. But I'm going to show this to you today in Scripture. We submit to the people that God has put in our lives as spiritual authority. Now, that's not to say they're perfect or that they, can, they can't miss it. Certainly they can. But yet we are called by Scripture, instructed by Scripture to remember those who have the rule over us, the Bible says. There are people that the Lord has put in our lives that we are to submit to, to bring ourselves under. And we just read it in 1 Peter 5. You younger, and I heard everybody in here say, that's me. You younger, what are you supposed to do? Submit to your elder. Would anybody else uh, bear witness that this is missing in our culture? This is a foreign concept to submit, to obey. You're not the boss of me. Remember our toddler a minute ago? Yeah, childish mentalities that hang around well into people's 20s and 30s and 40s and beyond. You're not the boss of me. I don't have to obey you. This is a foreign concept in our culture right now. Because it's the nature of the flesh. But I want to show this to you in scripture. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 8. And we'll look at verse 5. Matthew chapter 8 verse 5. Man, I saw some things in this this week I'd never seen before. Matthew 8 5, the Bible says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum... A centurion. So who is this guy? This guy is a military guy. He's, he's a centurion, which means he's over at least a hundred men. Do you hear that? He's what? Over. He's over at least a hundred uh, soldiers. This centurion came to Jesus pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. Verse eight, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under. I'm not worthy that you should come under. Now that I hadn't seen till this moment right here. I'm not worthy. Who's he talking to? Jesus. Now, now keep in mind who's talking. A Roman centurion, an officer in this army that occupies this land and occupies these people. And he's telling Jesus, I'm not worthy that you should come under. He said, I'm not worthy that you should come under. Uh, what was that verse eight? I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Listen, but speak a word only. And my servant will be healed. This is so awesome. 
My servant will be healed. Look up the words. My servant will be made whole. You know what you could say? My servant will be perfected. My servant will be strengthened. If you speak a word, speak a word only. Now notice what he says. Where's this revelation come from? Verse nine, for I also am a man, what? Under. I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Check this out. This is what I'd never seen before. This man says to Jesus, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only. My servant will be healed, for I also. I never noticed that word also. I also am a man under authority. Well, if he's saying, I also am a man under authority, who's the other man he's talking about? Do you see this? He's identifying with Jesus. He understands something. He understands that Jesus' ability to speak the word only and have things change, have things perfected and established and strengthened and settled. He understands that Jesus has the authority to do that because he is a man under. I don't know if I'm saying this right. He's saying, Jesus, I recognize something. You're under authority. And I recognize that because you've taken your place under authority, that your place under authority is what gives you authority over. Oh, come on, church. Can you see this today? He said, you've got authority over this sickness because you're a man submitted. And what's he saying? He said, I got servants. I got men under me. I got people I can say, go. And we don't have any discussion about whether or not he wants to go. I can say to these soldiers, go do this. And they do not say to me, but I don't feel like doing it. <laughs> they do not say to me, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. I say, go and they go. And it's authority. But, but where's, he, where's he recognizing that his authority comes from? I also am a man under. My authority over them comes from my, help me Lord, from me submitting under my authority. What's the best way to say this? My authority over them comes from their authority over me. How about we say it like this? My authority over Satan comes from God's authority over me. I, I don't get to resist until I've submitted. I also am a man under authority. Now notice what he, he connected the dots here. Say a word. This sickness has to submit to your word. What is it to submit to the will of God? It is to submit, to bring yourself under 
the word. Can you see that? I'm not worthy that you come under. Now, here's a guy who had every natural right and reason to push and boss Jesus around. Any Jew. He's an occupying officer. Can you see the humility? And I don't know what kind of suffering that required. For a Roman officer, a centurion, to humble himself under this preacher. But he did it. And you know what Jesus said about it? He stepped back and he marveled. And he said, I have never seen such great, what? Faith. Faith. Now, we've always thought that the faith was when he said, speak the word only. And there's certainly truth to that. But faith comes as the result of submitting. I'm under you, Lord, which gives me authority over the devil, over sickness, over disease. Where's the faith come from? Man, that guy's great, got such great faith. Do you hear him bossing around the devil? Do you hear him screaming and shouting and yelling at that sickness? Man, where's he get faith like that? It came from one place. It came from submitting. Now you can take that same expression of faith. Satan, I resist you in Jesus' name. I bind up this sickness. I loose it, healing, and I resist you. I resist you. I resist you, resist you, resist you. But if that guy or girl has not first submitted, guess what all that is? Fake faith. It's not genuine. It's not the real deal. And it'll burn up in that fire. But the real deal just gets brighter. Thank you, Lord. Submitting... Submitting to the will of God is what? Submitting to his word. Now look at, oh, how do we do this? Well, don't, don't take time to turn there, but I told you it's also submitting to his spirit. Submitting to his word, submitting to his spirit. And this is the big difference right here. How do you live life? We talked about it already, already earlier today. Do you live out of the flesh? Do you live out of the spirit? And you remember just moments before the cross when Jesus had gone into the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. You know, that word itself, Gethsemane, literally means press. It's an oil press. It's a place of pressure. And you remember this account, but he went to pray and he said to Peter and James and John, you remember what he told them? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Then he said this, for the spirit, right, is what? Willing. Willing. The spirit wants to do this. Willing to what? Well, I read that for years thinking, yeah, guys, come on, wake up. Watch and pray because, you, you know, you're going to be tempted to sleep, you know, and, and your spirit's willing to pray. And I finally realized years later, Jesus wasn't just talking to them about staying awake. He's saying, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation and then you see what's going on in him. It's his spirit that he's talking about. His spirit was willing. Willing to what? Submit. 
submit. This is why he walks a few steps from them. The Bible says about a stone's throw. And he walks away and he falls to the ground and he cries out. You remember this? My God, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, what's happening here? I don't want to submit to this. I don't want to bring myself under this. Oh, but then he cried out. Anybody remember what he cried? Shout it with me. Not my will. Not my what? Not my will, but your will be done. What's he saying? I'm bringing my will under your will. Now he's called my spirit wants to do this. My spirit in me is, is ready and willing to submit. But then he identified this other part of him that he had. And guess what? You got it too. I got it too. It's that flesh side. He said the spirit's willing, but the flesh, the flesh is weak. And what's the flesh going? What's the flesh saying? I don't want to. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to. I don't want to submit. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. What do you think your flesh is crying out? I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to be crucified. I want what I want. I want it now. Give it to me now. I want it my way. It's the same thing. Jesus' flesh was crying out the same thing. But he gave voice to his spirit when he said, not my will, but yours be done. Now, there's a part of this account, we've heard this before, but there's a part of this whole account that doesn't get talked about a lot, and it's in Luke's account of it. In verse 22, notice what it says, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, in just a moment, you're going to read where he, he, he goes away and he falls to the ground and he's under such pressure, in this place of pressure. It's the pressure to stop trusting God. It's the pressure to not obey. It's the pressure to not submit. And, and great drops of blood begin to drop from his pores. But notice what happened. We, we don't talk much about this in verse 43. Put that back up there. Luke 22, verse 43. While he's crying out, while he's submitting, look what happens. An angel appeared to him from heaven and did what? Did what? strengthened him, strengthened him. Would you agree that Jesus right here in this garden is suffering submission? Yeah, in a big way, like nobody ever has before and like nobody ever will again. He is suffering submission, but because he's doing it, because he's bringing himself under this supernatural, miraculous moment happens. This angel of the Lord appears to him and begins ministering strength to him. Now, what is it that makes us think that can't happen in your living room? Maybe you do, maybe you don't see an angel, but I can tell you this, supernatural strength is available to you. But what does it come from? Bringing yourself under. It's the suffering of submission. We submit to his word. We submit to his spirit. 
And then I told you this, we submit to his people. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. Just a few minutes left. In 2 Kings chapter 5 is the account of another military man. It says in chapter 5 verse 1, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. Some of you may be familiar with this account. It's about this man named Naaman. But here we are again reading about a military man. And he's not just a centurion over a hundred. He is the commander of the entire Syrian army. This man's got some rank. This man's got some power. But he's got a problem. Because he's also got leprosy. And um, part of the story, won't read the whole thing, but the Syrian army had gone into uh, the, the nation of Israel and captured different ones, and they brought home this young girl, and there was, a, there was a young Jewish girl serving in his house. He served, this young girl served his wife. And this, this girl speaks up, and she says, all that my master Naaman was back in the land of Israel, and the prophet of the Lord there could, could heal him. And you know, when you get desperate, you, you look anywhere for healing, for help, for strength, right? And Naaman goes to his king and he said, look, uh, this little curl said that there's a prophet in Israel that could heal me of this. And the king says, I'll write a letter. So he writes a letter to the king of Israel, but somewhere it got lost in translation because the king of Israel opened it up thinking that the king of Syria is sending Naaman to him, to the king, to heal Naaman. And this guy, the king of Israel, he absolutely panics. He tears his clothes and he thinks, well, who am I? Am I God that I can heal this man? Well, word gets back to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha says, send him to me. It says in verse eight of chapter five, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me. He'll know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman, notice this, went with his horses and his chariot. I mean, this is like a limousine pulling up to Elisha's house and his whole entourage piling out of these vehicles, right? He stood at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10, it says, Elisha, sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored. Restored. We talked about this. Perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. Many translations say, may the God of all grace restore. To be perfected is to be restored. This is what Naaman needs. He's got this disease that's literally eating away at him and he needs restoration. He needs perfection. And Elisha sent the messenger to say, if you'll go wash in the Jordan seven times, your flesh will be restored. You'll be perfected. You'll be strengthened and you will be clean. But verse 11, look, Naaman became furious and went away and said, listen to this. Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. What's happening here? Doesn't this guy know who I am? Huh? Didn't anybody tell him who it was that's coming to see him? I'm Naaman for crying out loud. I'm the commander of the Syrian army. 
He said, surely I said to myself, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen because this is what should happen. And he said, surely he's going to come out to me. The moment that Elisha sent a messenger instead of coming himself, guess what got insulted? Naaman's pride. And he's got all these expectations, right? Here's what's going to happen. I said to myself, he will come to me. I love this. And will stand, right? He's got this picture built up in his mind. And call on the name of, his, of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. He's got this expectation of how it should go, of how it will go. And when it didn't go the way he thought it would, he got furious. He's like, this is what's going to happen. This guy's going to come out. He's going to greet me, acknowledge my place. He's going to stand and he'll, he'll call on his God and he'll begin to wave his hand. Can you see he's got some very specific expectations about what God should do? He's going to heal the leprosy. And he said in verse 12, verse 12 are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So simple. So I don't know how long it took to convince Naaman of this. And his pride, I imagine, fought it tooth and nail. But finally he agreed to do it. And it says in verse 14, he went down and dipped. Somebody say dipped. Seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Here's a commander, a man with rank, a man with power, whose flesh is having to be crucified because he does not want to bring himself under. He's used to being over, over everyone, over everything, and he gets his way. And if he says this is the way it should go, then that's the way it should go. If he says this is the way it should be, then that's the way it should be. And he allows that thinking and mentality to get over into this thing that he needs God to do. To the point where he's furious that God, and he thinks his problem is with this preacher. He thinks his problem is with this prophet, when actually his problem is with God. And there's an unwillingness to bring himself under. Why? This is not how I saw it going. This is not what I expected it to be. And so he refuses to suffer the submission of submitting to God's people, God's person. Somebody talks some sense into him. And you know the story, we read it. He goes down into the Jordan. And what did he do? He did what? I had you say it. 
bit. I've heard this story since I was a kid. And I did not see it until just a few days ago. What is this dipping all about? What is he doing? Every time he's dipping, where's he going? Under. Under. Do you notice this? Not once. Submission is not a one and done kind of thing. What's he having to do every time he dips and every time he goes under? He's literally a sub mariner at this point. He's <laughs> under the water. What's it a picture of? Submit. Come back up. Well, now what do I do? Submit again. Okay, fine. I submitted. Now what do I do? Submit again and again and again and again and again and again. What's happening? Every time he brings himself under, the flesh is being crucified. Every time he brings himself under, his will is coming under the will of God. Now, I'm not a big numbers guy. I don't study the numerology. I'm not saying there's not anything to it. I just don't give a lot of time to it. But I have heard this, and I think you have too. You know, the number seven. What is it? The number of? Perfection. And he got up out of that seventh submission, and he was restored. He was perfected. Even to the point where the Bible says his flesh was like a little child. What do we say about babies? Especially those new ones. They're perfect. Perfect. Not a thing wrong. Where did this perfection come from? Submission. And man, we've already seen it, church. I mean, we're, we're a new church. Speaking of babies, that's us, man. We are. We're new. But we have already seen it. And Sarah will attest to this, that it does not come naturally to the flesh to want to submit, to want to bring your will under. And there are people who would say, well, I have no problem submitting to the word. I have no problem submitting to the spirit. It's you. <laughs> You're my issue. Well, I've already told you as spiritual leaders, as pastors who stand in this office, can we miss it? Absolutely. Have we? Probably. Yeah. But I'm telling you, we've had individuals get so mad, get so fighting mad. Why? You asked them to do something that wasn't what they had in mind. It was not the expectation. I said to myself, surely you'd have me do this. Surely you'd have me lead that. Surely. And when we didn't, the, that flesh rose up, that pride rose up, and there was this refusal to bring themselves under. Now, here's the thing, and here's what keeps me as a leader safe and Sarah as a leader safe. Do you notice what the Bible said in James 4? We read it. Submit yourself to God. 
People don't want to do this because they think, well, I'll be taken advantage of. And, and people, you, you leaders just want people to do all your bidding and to do, and to do all the dirty work and all the grunt work. It ain't about me. It ain't even between me and you. It's not between my leaders and me. It's between me and the Lord. Nobody can submit me but me. Nobody can make me submit any more than we could make these individuals or those individuals submit. Can't make you submit. You submit who? Yourself. You bring yourself under. I bring myself under. Listen to this. Not even God can make you submit. You have to do it. You and I are the ones to bring ourselves under. And when we've experienced this with different ones, different individuals, I remember talking to one guy one time and man, it had just, it seemed like it just gotten out of hand and, and there was this tension and friction between us and, and, and it was over what we'd asked him to do. Just wasn't what he thought, wasn't what they had in mind. And, and I said, man, is, I can miss it, but is there any chance I'm hearing from God? Is there any chance at all that what I've asked you to do is something we got from the Lord? If there is, then who is it you are fighting? Because it's not me, right? Are you, are you following me? And the thing about what Elisha told Naaman to do, not just dip once, not just, not just dip twice. Do it over and over and over again. I have a word for you, and I don't know if it's prophetic or what, but you will have opportunity in 2022 to suffer some submission. Now I saw a hand go up. That was the right response. Like, pray, praise the Lord, I think. I don't maybe. Yeah, that's right. Because you know what's on the other side of it. Strengthening, right? And if God has to send an angel to your living room, when you bring yourself under him, he will see to it that you have the strength that you need. What if Jesus hadn't had that ministering spirit, that angel ministering strength to him? What if he'd never even made it to the cross? He needed some strength to get from where he was to where he was going. But there's going to be some opportunity this year. You're going to have opportunities to dip, not once, not twice, not three times, but over and over and over again. You might have opportunity before you get out of the building to bring yourself under the will of God. Where do we do that? By submitting to his word, submitting to his spirit, submitting to his people. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand on your feet with me? Sarah, is there anything else to add to this? I know there is. I know there's, we could spend weeks just talking about this. In all the years of ministry that we have um, helped people, we've seen this specific thing 
save people's lives. Thank you. That's exactly right. We've seen this specific thing save people's marriages. Um, no little deal. Mm-hmm. It's a real big deal. I'm glad you said that. That's actually what the Lord said to me, and I forgot to say it today. We've spent a year together now or more in the Word, and I had a sense getting ready coming in here today that this was one of, if not the most important thing we've talked about so far. Because of that right there. Your healing's tied to this. Your deliverance, your provision, your salvation. How were you born again? Submission. And you're exactly right. We have seen lives saved. And there are others, and I'll say this too, there are others that that she and I spend time in prayer over, in conversation over, pleading for mercy for their behalf. Because we don't want to see anything, anything outside of the will of God come to somebody because they refuse to just, just bring themselves under. And, and we certainly don't want to see it in our own lives. Thank you, Lord. That was right. What else? I would just encourage you, how do you practically put this into practice in your life? Go before the Lord. Get before the Lord at the beginning of the year, every year. Get on your face if you have to. And say, Father, who have you called me to come up under? Who is it? And there's multiple things in life, in, in multiple people in life that God may call you to do this with. Not a ton, but a few. Ephesians tells us, wives, submit to your husbands. This is a Bible verse in the New Testament. Wives, submit to your husbands. It also talks about us coming up under the different spiritual leaders that God has put over us. Only you can know that. And then only you can make the choice. That's between you and the Lord. And so I encourage you just to find out who that is in your life. I'm telling you, it will save your life. I have seen it save people's lives. I've seen people healed because they chose to obey God in this. I've seen people's children's saved. I've seen babies live. I have seen it time and time again. Miracles happen because people decided to do it just the way that God does it. And this is the way he does it. And Sarah and I have gone to those people in our life. Several people. Like she said, it's not a long list. This isn't a, it's not you just going and finding anybody and everybody. But we have gone to different ones the Lord has put in our lives and we have been vocal about our submission and said, we are bringing ourselves under. And if there's ever anything you hear us say or see us do that's out of line or does not line up with the word, you say it to us and we will change it. There's power in acknowledging that. We have said to them, you are over us in the Lord. Yeah. And you have a voice in our life. Yeah. And when push comes to shove, yeah. and there's been times it's been hard, yeah. we've done it. We've taken it and we've listened. And there's things and it that saved our life. They've said things to us before that, I mean, it ruffles feathers, but that's just the flesh. That's the toddler gone. I mean, I don't want to. Right? Thank you, Lord. Jesus, what an example Jesus is. Not my will, but yours 
be done. Can we say it together today? Say it to the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. Come on, lift up your hands, close your eyes, and say it again. Not my will, but yours be done. It's such a simple prayer of submission. And the flesh may scream, let it scream. You give voice to your spirit. Not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, Lord. I also had it come up in my heart just now that there are people in here that you need to go to someone that you may have, sh- may have uh, supposed to have been submitted to for a long time, but you've, you've somehow resisted that. You need to go to them and you need to say, you know what? I'm sorry. I apologize. I am now making the choice. I'm going to come up underneath you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to yield to you. Submission is to defer to you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to respect you. It may just take that. And man, it could totally change the course of your life. I'm just saying this one more thing. I've seen this in marriages. Oftentimes, when someone refuses to submit, there is an open door of confusion in the family. But the moment everything gets in its right order, someone comes and they say, I'm going to come up underneath you. Wives even say, you know what? I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to come up. I'm going to follow your leading. I have seen everything fall in order, all in place. All the confusion leaves. The devil has no open door in the, whole, in the marriage, in the family, in the children's lives. Things just fall into place. Amen. You get grace. You get grace. You get Where help. there's humility, you get grace. You get the help that you need. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.